think we assume that herpes is this like horrifying thing and you're just always this like gross being, but in reality, it's a very manageable skin condition for most folks. Hello, honey, and welcome to Honey Do Me Podcast. I'm Cass. And I'm Emma, and we're just two gals looking for a good lay. Aren't we all? (laughs) But when it comes to sex, we're just as lost as you and have no idea what we're doing. Luckily, we will stop at nothing to get the answers we need. Cue our expert guests. We're ready to overshare and ask all the embarrassing questions so you don't have to. By the end of every episode, you will be dripping in actionable steps and ready to take on the damn world. Or at least take it from behind. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us, honey. How how do do you do you? Hello, 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 and welcome. I'm going to turn up our volume because people need to hear us more. You want to hear me loud and proud. If I know. We've gotten one review. It's been please talk more and talk louder. Speak up. Speak up. Share what you're actually feeling. Maybe be a little more honest, a little more graphic. Yeah. Um, I need it. Like yeah. it's a it's a yearning. Uh huh. So here I am and louder in your ears. Trying. I was just telling Cass that I got a piercing today, but not so much a piercing as it was a reopening of my Uh, ear. So I got my helix cartilage, mm -hmm. you know, pierced a while ago. It kind of closed. And then they were like, oh, well, let's just see if it's still open. So they shoved a needle through it. And they're like, yep, still works. Still open. You're like, are you sure? Because that felt closed. That (laughs) felt like you redid it all over again. It was just free, but more painful. Yeah, it was half off that way. (laughs) So I said, shove her through. Give me a raw dog piercing and charge me half and I'll go home and cry about it later. Do what you got to do. I don't have enough money. Oh, I literally don't. I've paid off stuff and I'm like, whoa, whoa, you're broke. Reality check. I hate that one. It's the beginning of the month, too. It is so much the beginning of the month. It's not even funny. Yeah, hurts a little. I just I just moved unexpectedly. And that also costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know if anybody out there has moved before, <laughs> but, but security deposits but are no joke. <laughs> Boy, does that month and a half rent, whatever, Mm -hmm. really add up. It hits a little funny. It hits funny. (laughs) Not different, just funny. Just (laughs) I just laugh and cry at the same time. Yeah, shit myself, Mm -hmm. all of it, you know? All of the above. If I'm not laughing, crying, and shitting myself, did I really go through anything good that day? Is that life? (laughs) Am I alive? Am I living? Yeah. Speaking of (laughs) laughing and crying and shitting yourself... Herpes. Herpes. Is what we're talking about today. Yeah. Um, And there's a lot of emotions wrapped up in herpes, Mm -hmm. um, which we talk about in this episode with Ella Dawson, a sex and culture critic and self-proclaimed troublemaker based on her (laughs) Instagram bio, which I love. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. We really get into what a positive herpes diagnosis is, um, how it's not regularly tested for, which is complete bullshit, and all of the things that go into having sex and dating with a positive diagnosis or when you are just in general dating because most fucking people Mm -hmm. have herpes. So to throw a statistic out there to keep Mm -hmm. you listening, even if you don't think you have herpes or you don't think you've ever had sex with someone with herpes, one in two people have type one, which is cold source. Mm -hmm. One in six people have type two, which is Mm -hmm. genital. Yes, that sounds a little scary, but as you listen to the episode, it's like, 
how this is so common and mm-hmm. the fact that there's no face for like herpes, you know, like no one exactly. that you can refer to makes this so scary. But that's why you need to keep listening because mm-hmm. Ella is the most beautiful, Ugh. caring, genuine face mm-hmm. for this topic. And if you've experienced it, if you might experience it, whatever, which you might, which there's you a very, really very fucking like, good chance if that you either had, have it or yeah. you will yeah. have sex with somebody who has it. It's yeah. just like, I don't know if there's any way for us to make it like more clear to you that this mm-hmm. is important for every fucking person, like destigmatizing, also learning like what yeah. you need to be aware of and just mm-hmm. like, God, it's so fucking important. And what you need to ask for at the doctor. Mm-hmm. Because God. unfortunately, the stigmatization runs deep in mm-hmm. the way that like you don't get tested because doctors are scared of actually giving you the diagnosis. <laughs> like that's the whole I did. Can you tell I did some homework? That's <laughs> the whole thing behind like underreported cases because mm-hmm. doctors know how scary it is to get told that. Mm-hmm. So they don't. And that's just like. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! What other what other thing do we do that yeah. with? And yeah. it, like the worst part is it's not even that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, that comes with all of this stigma, but it really like so many people fucking have it and yep. never even realize that's how like small of a deal it is. <laughs> right? Exactly. So, that's literally how small. So keep listening because you'll just learn something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's applicable to other STIs and mm-hmm. things that we feel stigmatized yeah. about as well because. You know, it's really just about like dating and having sex when you are experiencing something that we don't know a lot about, but there's a lot of information about there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Exactly. I that sentence. That's okay. No, that <laughs> makes complete sense. I mean, if you need to learn how to have better conversations before sex, this is mm-hmm. also a great um, episode to listen to. Exactly. So listen. So listen <laughs> and hang on um, and enjoy Ella because we sure did. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. Whoops, I did that too early. I'm gonna cut it out. (laughs) My name is Ella Dawson and I'm a sex and culture critic and I'm also a patient advocate for people who have herpes. Great. And I feel like that's, like we just don't find people that are advocates for STIs and STD. Mm -hmm. And like that's what we really wanna talk about today is understanding (laughs) how that works, what it Mm -hmm. is, what are the symptoms. And also I think our first question is starting out with, is STDs still the word or is it STIs? That's a good question. I, there are folks who still use STD as terminology just because it's it's something that we're all so familiar with. I don't think I knew that STI was a term uh, until after I was diagnosed. The difference is an STI is an infection as opposed to a disease. So I think the shift is, is for accuracy and also to kind of decrease the stigma of people associating disease with this big scary thing and the other thing too is that we think of diseases as having symptoms whereas infections can kind of hang out in your body without a giveaway for quite some time so I think it also helps people understand that you can be asymptomatic but you still have to go get checked for STIs you're not uh you may not be seeing a bunch of things but you might still carry an infection so I use STI but STD is there's nothing wrong with using it but I think STI is a bit more up-to-date Got it. That okay. Because I always thought that STI only referred to chlamydia and gonorrhea and everything else was an STD. Like that's how I learned about the difference of mm-hmm. them. Um, so yeah, it's only been recently that mm-hmm. I've been seeing people refer to it more as STI, but that makes sense because you want them to be aware that even without symptoms, you should be checking and scanning your body 
constantly Mm -hmm. (laughs) to make sure that everything's good. Yeah. And going in and talking to your doctor and getting rest, uh, regular tests and figuring out also what you are and aren't being tested for too, since herpes is not included in the standard STI panel that you get. So yeah, surprise. Uh, Why? (laughs) Yeah. Why wouldn't it be? Is it a different test? A different it's a different test. Herpes is a little weird. Um, you To get an accurate test, you really need to get a certain type of blood test or have okay. a culture taken from like an active symptom. Mm. It's not something that you can really test for peeing in a cup. Mm. Uh, but yeah, a lot of people assume that they know their STI status. And in reality, they've never been checked for a whole bunch of STIs. Uh-huh. So yeah, it's one of those moments where ignorance is not bliss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you ask your doctor for a test do you just say like I want to be I want to just take an STI test as well as herpes like I mean I feel like there's a lot of shame around asking for that too Mm -hmm. and a lot of awkwardness even though there shouldn't be yeah it's it can be really awkward to ask your doctor about STI testing and I think that's part of where a lot of misinformation comes from is we just want to say as little as possible right (laughs) in those conversations Mm -hmm. Um, I, and it's funny, like the CDC doesn't even necessarily that you recommend, doesn't necessarily recommend that you get checked for herpes unless you're showing symptoms because herpes testing itself can be kind of unreliable and expensive. Mm. So it may not even be as simple as going to your doctor and saying, Hey, I want to get tested for herpes because they might want to know, well, have you recently been exposed? Like, why do you think you need this test? Like it can be a little strange. Mm. I think the, what I think folks should take away and think about is just, talk to your doctor, what is on this test? What Mm. are the things that I'm getting results for? And really look at that. And that way you can see, oh, I know my status when it comes to gonorrhea, chlamydia. Oh, I should probably get an HIV test. Like be a little more curious around what am I actually receiving? Mm -hmm. And that way, when you talk to your partners about your STI status, you can say like, I've been recently tested for X, Y, Z. Here's what I know. Um, but yeah, it's it's very strange how confusing and oblique a process it is. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think the fact that we are so uncomfortable talking about it is why. Absolutely. So when should you get an STI test and when should you get a herpes test if it's just, um, you are know, you- especially if those are things that you have to advocate for? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the best schedule. I think it depends on your lifestyle mm-hmm. and... Uh, how much fun you're having <laughs> during COVID. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't, I've been tested recently, but I went quite some time without getting tested just because mm-hmm. it was not necessary. But, <laughs> you're uh, like, I know, I know. <laughs> believe me, yeah. I know what's happening and it's nothing. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I think that it, it, it really depends on your lifestyle. I would talk to your doctor. Definitely don't lie to your doctor when they ask mm. things about like, how many partners have you had? What have you been up to? It may, you may feel worried about being judged, but it'll also help them figure out what you do need to be tested for and, and uh, make an accurate conclusion. Mm. Um, I, some people say every three months, some people say every six months, but yeah, it depends. And it also access to healthcare has so much to do with this as yes. well. Um, if you're worried about cost, a lot of cities and um, a lot of cities will have free t- testing clinics uh, that, that have reduced cost or free options, sliding scale. So do some Googling. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's awkward, but it's, it's, you're better off knowing and you're also better off catching something early that may be mm-hmm. asymptomatic too. So generally, I think I've always associated STI testing with being single. 
or having multiple partners or just like partners you aren't as familiar with. And I'm in a long-term relationship now, but is it still worth it to get tested when you're in a long-term relationship? When you like, if you've been in that relationship for however many years? Yeah, I think that's, that's a, that's kind of a fun question. I think a lot of people worry that if they go get an STI test or their partner does that somebody might be cheating and that they're like, might be like, why do you need this test? The truth is that some STIs can live in your body and not show up on tests for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Because especially with viruses like herpes, the test might be testing for the amount of antibodies in your system. So if you get herpes, it may not even show up on like a blood test for months. So it can sometimes be worth going in to get checked for things, even if you think, well, I'm not, I haven't been sleeping with anyone new. I might not have, like, when is the last time I, I might've contracted something? Bodies are really weird. So <laughs> it's, it's sometimes worth just getting that peace of mind and, and looking those things up. Um, and some STIs also aren't only sexually transmitted, which is, I think, worth noting, like, you can get a cold sore, some form of oral herpes from a family member or from, I can't think of another explanation, but like a lot of <laughs> folks will often get cold sores and oral herpes from their relatives, like the, the pushy aunt mm-hmm. <laughs> or like, or like a, or a parent who kisses you on the cheek or mm-hmm. not on the cheek, but like families of different boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not from a touchy family, but I know other <laughs> people who have gotten herpes that way. So you may think that you haven't done anything that might put you at risk of receiving a sexually transmitted infection because of the name, but it is, yeah. it's a lot weirder than that. Yeah. <laughs> Which I feel like leads us into the next question of like, what are the ways we can contract STIs and STDs? And like, how can we not, you know, like what are the myths around like, I think Cass brought up one like sitting on toilet seats has yeah. been one that like <laughs> I was always circulated told around. that growing up that like oh that's what obviously there are reasons to use a, like the toilet yeah. liner like <laughs> obviously I also but saw different. a TikTok that those bacteria die within like mm-hmm. ten seconds oh. because toilet seats aren't porous so like oh, by the time a sense. next person comes it's gone. Oh, well, I'm still going to use the cover, but <laughs> me too. You do, but, you. <laughs> um, but obviously, like. Then I real like learned that STIs are not transmitted right, that way. Right, right. Um, so I would love to talk more about the ways that they actually are and some of the myths. Yeah, yeah. like I just said, <laughs> you can repeat it again. If yeah, you want that. <laughs> yeah. No, I I was absolutely taught that too about toilet seats. Like I remember a very vivid story from one of my parents about getting crabs from a toilet seat, and now I'm like, yeah. I don't think that actually works that way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Pretty sure. Yeah. yeah no, it's. <laughs> It's funny. I'm not a scientist, so I am not the best versed in this type of question, but I will say there are a lot of myths about how you can contract different STIs that are extremely frustrating frustrating and stigmatizing. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of things that we don't think of as being STIs that can be transmitted in weird ways too. So one example I always think of is people freak out a lot about sharing cups, particularly mm-hmm. in college when you're playing a lot of drinking games and beer yeah. pong and things like that. And there are absolutely illnesses that can be transmitted that way. Um, But I I remember a lot of HIV AIDS stigma and people freaking out about that and making jokes about that. And like certain viruses are just not likely to be transmitted that way. Like there's a certain amount of viral load that you need to transmit something like herpes or HIV. And when it comes to sharing cups or things like that, like the risk is probably not as big as we might 
joke about it being, mm-hmm. but you might swap mono. Like there's <laughs> things that go around college campuses all the time. Mm-hmm. And viruses, something that I find really fun about herpes is that it's part of a larger family of viruses. And there's a strain of herpes called herpes gladiatorum, which a lot of wrestlers get from wrestling mats. Oh. Because it's just a skin, it's a skin condition. Like all herpes mm-hmm. all herpes viruses are essentially skin conditions. So it's there are a lot of there are a lot of weird ways that viruses can be transmitted around. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, like in terms of basic rules, condoms and dental dams and things like that, that are, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Barrier methods. Um, yes. Thank you. <laughs> Barrier methods are really helpful with certain types of viruses. Mm-hmm. Um, it's useful to know how different viruses travel. So herpes mm-hmm. is skin contact. It's not fluids. So condoms can be incredibly helpful for, covering certain things up um and at this and then there are other viruses that transmit completely different ways so mm-hmm. it's yeah it's very strange i think a lot of us are taught don't have sex or you'll get an sti yes. and in reality how are you having sex are you mm-hmm. using certain methods like yeah it's, it's a weird one right. absolutely is mono an sti I don't know if it's technically considered an STI, but you can certainly get it through being very up close and personal with another mm-hmm. person's body. So Absolutely. <laughs> I think mean, even STI as a category is kind of silly. Yeah. yeah. I know my partner got mono in high school and got really sick. Yeah. No, there was a kid that got mono at my middle school. And then he was, like, he was like, where have you been? <laughs> kind of a thing. Like he was the biggest player in middle school. So we figured he was making out with a bunch of girls, which probably wasn't true, but that's what we said. Um, Is crabs different than gonorrhea and chlamydia? Uh, I believe so, but I don't know. Okay. (laughs) I I don't know a ton about other STIs. I know a lot about herpes, but (laughs) I'm hoping that will be the only thing I have personal experience with, knock on wood. Fair. (laughs) Well, that's fine. So let's get into herpes maybe a little bit more then. Mm So what are some symptoms of herpes like what are you going to experience and I know that there's different kinds you know like you said oral and then there's genital so can Mm -hmm. we talk a little bit about those yeah so herpes has there are two strands that we associate with herpes strains I should say there's HSV1 and HSV2 Mm -hmm. and the difference between those two strains is basically where they where the virus literally lives within your like nervous system so is it towards the top of your spine or the bottom of your spine and you can also have genital herpes or oral herpes. Oral herpes tends to be HSV-1 because it's living towards the top of your body. And HSV-2 tends to be genital. But you can also have either strain in either place. Okay. So I, for example, I have HSV-1, but I it is expressed genitally. And that's where I transmitted it. So in my case, I kind of have like the mild strain, not that we should compare them, but because the virus lives so far away in my body from where it Mm -hmm. expresses itself, Mm -hmm. I don't have outbreaks very frequently. So the strains are a little weird and confusing. Most people assume that HSV-1 is only oral and HSV-2 is only genital, but it's a lot more complicated than that. And there's actually been a rise in women getting HSV-1 genitally because more people are having oral sex, which like, yay, ladies. <laughs> right. Which uh, <laughs> is very weird. Um, herpes can, like, symptoms can vary uh, depending on your body and your lifestyle and all kinds of stuff. Um, 
we think a lot of herpes as, as being these frightening outbreaks of sores. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're herpes positive, you're not having outbreaks all the time. You're not like a permanently diseased leper, which I think a lot of teenagers kind of assume. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been herpes positive for almost nine years now, and I've had three outbreaks total. And each one lasted, I think the first one lasted two weeks, and my most recent one lasted like four days. So as, as you've had the virus, you'll have fewer symptoms over time and they're usually less severe. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of my life, herpes has impacted it very little. Like the percentage of time I've been herpes positive and I've actually had symptoms is like point, like less than 1%. (laughs) I'm not good at that. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think, I think we assume that herpes is this like horrifying thing and you're just always Mm -hmm. this like gross being but in reality it's a very manageable skin condition for most folks um and like the sores themselves it's like little little blisters and they're Mm -hmm. they're like I don't like touching them they're a little painful and they look kind of ugly but I've also had pimples that are excruciating right (laughs) yeah yes it's all it's something that we've we've kind of disease mongered into being this horrifying consequence of a mistake as opposed to just another weird type of skin infection that you can get. Um, and the fact that we associate it with our genitals, which are very private and that we have a lot of self-esteem attached to can make an outbreak, this very potentially scary thing. Or if you have oral herpes, it's potentially embarrassing because everyone can see it on your face. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of fear and, and disgust wrapped up in herpes that is completely disproportionate for what it actually is. Mother's Day is around the corner, and whether you're celebrating your mama, grandma, guardian, or yourself, celebrate with the mother of all self-care routines by trying out Osea's Mega Moisture Duo. This duo delivers a one-two punch in luxurious body care moisturizers with their Anduria Algae Body Oil and Anduria Collagen Body Lotion, both featuring Osea's signature all-natural citrusy scent. I use both the body lotion and the Anduria Algae Body Oil once I get out of the shower, and I use it literally everywhere. This duo is my go-to for feeling glowy and hydrated for literal days, and the Osea Signature Scent is one of my faves because it's not overwhelming, um, but it's like a delicious and fresh smell that just lasts. Since 1996, Osea has been making seaweed-infused skincare that is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat mom to the everyday spa experience she deserves with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code DOOMY at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to O-S-E-A malibu.com and use code d-e-w-m-e for 10 percent off i have two questions right off the bat feel free to jump in wherever you go want. ahead so are cold sores herpes then the oral herpes yeah okay they are. so just like your run-of-the-mill average cold sore Wow. Is oral herpes. Yeah. So a lot of people have herpes and just have absolutely no idea. And a lot of people with genital herpes are like kind of salty about it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why it, there's the sense of like, why do we get stigmatized and people with oral herpes don't, but there's also the sense of like, why don't we get like a fun rebrand? Like yeah, cold right? so much better. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that really fucked up. But, genital uh, herpes does deserve a rebrand. Yeah, it does. So 
I'm sorry for like really being nitpicky on this one. Cause like I've had people and friends in high school who I know haven't been like sexually active, have oral or have like a cold sore, but that's still mm -hmm. like they contracted it somewhere from, is that skin on skin contact still you're saying for oral? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So that yeah. can just be Which from like, you said like, like a kiss on the cheek or something like that. Exactly. Wow. And we don't, we don't think of that as being some no. terrible thing that that person has done. So the, the moral judgment that we associate with herpes is really ridiculous because it is, it's just, it's a stereotype and it's not based in how actually people get it. And it can be very dangerous that association of oral herpes with cold sores, because we don't think of cold sores as being something that you transmit. So right. if you have a cold sore and you make out with someone or you go down on a sexual partner, you could transmit herpes to them and they might not even think of oh I got herpes from so and so because if you don't even think of yourself as having herpes it's like this it's this like language breakdown that we've created it's really bizarre interesting and then my second question that I was going to have is can you only um contract herpes from someone who is having an active outbreak or can you contract it at any time so there are times when you're more or less likely to transmit to someone. Like I, I have not had an outbreak in a very long time, but the period of time just before and just after you have an outbreak, you do shed the virus is what it's called. So you can transmit at those times and not even realize it. Um, you also can have um, asymptomatic viral shedding just at random times and have no idea that you're at risk of transmitting the virus because you're not showing any kind of symptom, which is why I think a lot of people kind of think of it as like the boogeyman. Like that's kind mm -hmm. of terrifying the idea that you could randomly transmit, but the chances of that happening really vary on your body, on how long you've had the virus, um, on the type of sex that you're having, on the barrier methods that you're using. And then you can also take antiviral medication if you want to, which can lessen the risk of transmission. It can lessen how the, the symptoms of your outbreak if you're having it. So a lot of folks will go on something like a daily Valtrex medication when they first get diagnosed just to learn how the virus works to have peace of mind. I was on it for quite some time when I was first diagnosed just because I was freaked out about the potential of giving it to my partner. Yeah. And now that I've been herpes positive for as long as I have, I'm like, this is not a super strong risk. And if my partner's fine with me not taking it, great. <laughs> Are there any side effects of that drug? There can be. They're usually pretty mild. Okay. Um, my only thing when I was on it was I was dehydrated, but I think mm -hmm. that was also because I was 22 and just didn't want to drink water. Because <laughs> we're all dehydrated yeah. at 22. <laughs> yeah. I feel that. Exactly. And like some people have, I'm trying to think if there are any like very intense side effects, but mm -hmm. not really. I think it's more just... Do you have access to it? Are you mm. willing to talk to your doctor about it? What's your insurance situation? Um, I think for me, it was like 20 bucks a month, which I could handle, but yeah. I can imagine is is a financial barrier for some folks. And Absolutely. also I probably had really good insurance at the time. So mm -hmm, I think right. that helps too. Yeah. Thanks parents. <laughs> I just have so many questions. I Keep don't going. even know where to start, but my first one is, so <laughs> with, you know, an active outbreak, either orally or genitally, like, where do the sores happen? Like, can they happen both inside your mouth and on the outside? And can, you know, like I'm thinking of like a vulva in particular, like, can they happen like on the outer labia as well as the inner labia? Like how close to the clitoris can they get like that sort of thing? 
I don't know a ton about all the places that SORS can happen, <laughs> but it's, I think they can happen inside, outside, around. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know as much about oral herpes. I know that with genital herpes, it can be, I think you can have sores kind of that are a little harder to see that are tucked in. Okay. Um, in my experience, they were usually like around my labia, mm-hmm. visible, annoying. Um, <laughs> mine were usually pretty small. Um, but yeah, I have also known folks who have, who have herpes, but get symptoms in really weird places. Um, it's not uncommon to have anal herpes depending on how you received it. Um, I've also known people who, for whatever weird reason, get outbreaks in like, I had a friend who would have outbreaks around her, um, her arms. Um, and she, she did sex work and, and I never asked too many questions, uh, cause it's none of my business, mm-hmm. but like, I know that herpes can live in strange places. Um, but for the most part, it is just going to be oral or genital mm-hmm. and occasionally anal somewhere. A gynecologist okay. is like yelling at me for spreading misinformation. Yeah. But... <laughs> That's okay. We'll just <laughs> have that true, disclaimer yeah. out there. Take it. I'm but... not a doctor, but <laughs> yeah. I have, I do know folks who have had outbreaks mm-hmm. in, in strange places just because the virus settled there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the only other question I have before I want to get into more of like the like stigma, shame and like talking with partners is, mm-hmm. oh yeah, taking care. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so when you have an outbreak, like what are ways that you can take care of yourself and like lessen any, um, you know, pain that you may be experiencing? Are there like creams? I'm thinking like underwear might be kind of uncomfortable at that mm-hmm. point. Like what are some things that you can do or maybe that you do that kind of help yeah so there are a ton of suggestions for this and depending on who you'll ask in the herpes community you'll probably get like a completely different list of things (laughs) um i definitely when i have outbreaks i swear by taking epsom salt baths so you can get epsom salt at almost any pharmacy Mm -hmm. and just pour a hot bath pour in a ton of epsom salt and it takes away a lot of the sting and discomfort and pain so when i have outbreaks i tend to just leave in the bathtub Mm -hmm. um and uh a lot of extra strength Tylenol, like just basic pain management types of things. Mm-hmm. Definitely having a prescription medication for herpes outbreaks is mm-hmm. incredibly helpful. So taking a, a, a short round of Valtrex to lessen the symptoms and help you heal faster. Mm-hmm. Um, there are folks who recommend certain changes to your diet to reduce the frequency of outbreaks. Um, people who take lysine tablets, there are a lot of like, there's a range of legitimate and more like woo woo things you can do. Um, but it's something that if folks are curious about, certainly there's a huge herpes community on Instagram um, where people kind of swap tips and, and trade advice. The main thing to know about herpes is that it, it's not curable, but it is very easily treatable. Okay. And I think that people, yeah, I think that people, because they hear that it's not curable tend to freak out, yeah. but like any other infection that hangs out in your body, like there are ways that you can mitigate it and handle Mm -hmm. it. And it's not the end of the world. Yeah. And the more we can hear that, the better too, because that's Mm -hmm. not talked about. It's talked about, you have it forever. Herpes Mm -hmm. is forever, but it's like, but what, what can you do, you know, to like help yourself Mm -hmm. and still have a really fucking perfect life and Mm -hmm. sex life. Um, I had one more. Oh yes. Is there anything that like sparks a, um, flare up or an outbreak anything like hormonally or in your diet that can like spark it I don't know yeah it really depends on your body but Mm -hmm. absolutely 
Um, I have a friend who has oral herpes who, if she gets too much like sunshine and salt water in the summer, will have outbreaks. Um, for me, my biggest, <laughs> yeah, I know it's weird for yeah. me. My biggest trigger is stress and, mm-hmm. um, like really intense stress. Like I've traveled internationally and I'm in a different time zone working a conference type of stress, mm-hmm. like big Got stress. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of folks in the beginning of the pandemic started talking about having outbreaks because of all of the, just the stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really related to your immune system often, um, some people have, um, outbreaks related to friction. Like if mm-hmm. they, uh, I'll let the imagination work yeah. there. But... <laughs> we all know when friction happens. Yeah. Denim. Yeah. Denim on but, denim. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so it is, it, it really depends. And a lot of people just have different triggers. Um, and if you are herpes positive, you will, you'll either learn what those triggers are or you won't have many outbreaks. You don't have to worry about it. But, uh. Yeah, it's weird. It's again, like I come back to the fact that bodies are really strange. And at this point, I've been positive for so long that I'm more just curious about it. And I find it really fun to talk about as opposed to intimidating. Yeah, as it should be with anything in life. You should just be curious and want to learn more and be able to talk about it so that everyone else can talk about it and feel fine. It not be a weird thing that we just treat. Exactly. Unfairly. Unfairly. Like the way we treat herpes is unwarranted. Yeah. We really want to get into the shame and stigma. And I think I would like to start out with like that first diagnosis. So when you do get diagnosed as herpes positive, like what are some things that you would say to somebody in that situation? Because I think they bring all of that societal shame with them into that moment. So I'd like to start there and kind of like, I want to say like a lifespan, but like, (laughs) that's not what I mean. Just like, you know, moving through the different situations that you are going to be in. Yeah, a herpes diagnosis is devastating. And there's been psychological research looking at the fact that it can really fracture your identity and your sense of Mm -hmm. self-worth in a way that is preposterously out of proportion with what herpes actually is. Mm -hmm. And there are some doctors who have said anecdotally that they find patients are even more distressed by a herpes diagnosis than by an HIV diagnosis, Mm -hmm. just because we know so much as a culture, I think at this point about HIV, whereas herpes is something that is really faceless. Like there's no celebrities we associate with it. There's no like beautiful Broadway musicals or films that we think of like it's it's just a blank in so many of our brains and so when you're diagnosed with herpes the first thing you think of are all of the shitty lines in movies making fun of herpes like every Judd Apatow film known to man um, even like progressive sitcoms have horrible herpes jokes like all of those things kind of come flooding back to you and a lot of us depending on the sex education we received also learned that herpes especially most STIs, but especially herpes is like a consequence. It's like, you have messed up. You are disgusting. You are irresponsible. Like, what did you do wrong to get you to this point? And so when folks are diagnosed, they're hit with all of this, like shame and confusion and feeling like a failure and feeling diseased and no one will ever love me again. Like it's real, it's quite genuinely traumatizing for a lot of folks and can create like there's a correlation between herpes diagnoses and depression and self-harm and all of these things that come with that type of trauma and mm-hmm. sadness mm-hmm. and isolation because most folks when they're experiencing that shame don't want to go talk to their mom immediately or their best friend or their partner and be like this is what's happening process it with me mm-hmm. so it's it's a really 
it can be a really terrible experience. Um, and it's frustrating to me looking back because herpes did not impact my life very much. What impacted my life was that stigma and was that strain it put on how I was feeling. And what I wish I'd known then and what I try to tell people now is you are still the person that you were the day before yesterday. You did not do anything to deserve this. This is not a punishment. This is not the beginning of the end of your life. Like this is just a skin condition. It is a virus that you have have somehow been given and it doesn't matter how you got it. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. It doesn't reflect who you are as a person. It is just a biological thing that has happened to your body. And welcome to the biggest secret society on earth. <laughs> like, Seriously, though. It's, it's absurd. Yeah. yeah. And although you may have never talked to anyone in your life about herpes, two-thirds of the world population under the age of 50, according to the World Health Organization, has HSV-1, which is the strain that I have. Two-thirds of people, and a lot of those folks may be asymptomatic, a lot of them probably don't know their status, but, like, that's your parents, that's your friends, that's your coworkers. Like, it's such, it's such a strange moment to see those statistics and think, like, who do I actually know who has this, who's told me? So although you may be feeling completely alone and horrible in that moment, you well welcome welcome yeah. to the family <laughs> and it's really gonna be okay this is yeah. not the end of the world as you know it and you're you're a very friendly face to be the cover of this at the moment so it feels so <laughs> it feels so warm and welcome like, that reframe yeah. as it, it's just a skin condition yeah is mm-hmm. so important because mm-hmm. like so is acne yeah so yeah. like mm-hmm. and it's just opening Cystic up my mind exactly it's I just opening that. up my mind to so many things of like you know, we don't judge somebody when they get an ear infection. Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to say an eye <laughs> infection, but when I got pink eye, people judged but me. But yeah, people <laughs> judged you. Yeah. And I didn't appreciate it, um, which is nothing compared. <laughs> but um, I'm not even trying to like, anyways. Um, but it sucks that we're like, you know, so stigmatizing of anything having to do with the genitals in particular, right. because sex is so shamed in general that yeah. like we do, t- even though it's not that different from an ear infection, it's just a, an infection in a different part of the body. Yeah. It's really frustrating and disappointing that we have to be so scared and shamed yeah. in this particular way and treated like it is a consequence of mm, something yeah. that we did. Cause it's like, yeah, an ear infection in the same way is like a consequence of something that had like a got in the water and I didn't clean out my ears properly. My dog gets ear infections all the time. He's got long ears. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Anything that like goes wrong or is like a miss misstep in mm-hmm. sex, it's like consequence. You did it wrong. You should mm-hmm. feel really shitty, and now you can't have sex with people, mm-hmm. or you shouldn't ever talk about it. You sinned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Somewhere you sinned. Um, after your diagnosis, and hopefully you're with a doctor that can explain that to you as well. But I, was that your experience? Like, did you find out from someone that was helpful, or no? Yes and no. I had a really, in some ways I had a lovely experience because my, the doctor who diagnosed me was there was no judgment. Like I didn't feel unsafe. Like there was no kind of, what did you do? Like some people have 
doctors who diagnose them who are just jerks. And like, I'm super glad I had a lovely doctor who was like, oh, yep, this is really common on this campus. Like a lot of freshman girls come in with it because they are having their first oral sex experiences. Like she was very chatty and normalized Mm -hmm. it a lot for me, but didn't do a great job explaining what it actually was. Mm -hmm. And also didn't do a great job explaining, well, how the, how the hell do I tell people now? She was kind of like, well, you know, if people really like you, it's not going to matter to them. And like, you'll, you'll meet someone who doesn't mind. And like, to me as a 21 year old who wanted to have a bunch of casual sex, I was like, I have to wait for the one to accept me. Like, Mm -hmm. ah, so (laughs) in some ways it was great. And in some ways, like, I think that I walked away with some social stigma from that Mm -hmm. conversation. Um, but yeah, it's some folks do not have all that pleasant experiences some people will like send away for their results and get like the anonymous service where they're getting their test result but with no context of like what does this mean they're just getting it on their email so I think your diagnosis experience very few people have like a setup for success conversation which is why I almost wish like there was some automatic not a pamphlet because people hate pamphlets. They seem really <laughs> depressing, but like a, a video that you get where it's like, welcome. Yeah. It's going to be fine. So we're here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That must've been hard to hear. Be like, no, don't worry. Like if someone really likes you, they won't care. It's like, I'm 20 fucking one. I don't even yeah. like me that much. Like, what do you yeah. mean? I have to wait for someone to be like socially enlightened to understand that this mm-hmm. is just like a skin, like irritation Mm -hmm. type of thing it's like that must have been really hard (laughs) so I especially like I was in a place where my life in my life where I wanted to like I wanted to have casual sex I wanted to be able to do anything I wanted to do I didn't want to have to limit myself to like some people who were really accepting Mm -hmm. I was like that's not the lifestyle I want thank you thank you And (laughs) and thankfully like over time I realized oh I can absolutely have casual sex I can do everything I wanted to do before Um, but you have to learn to do those things and very few people teach you like, here's how you tell a hot stranger at a bar about your STI status before getting home. Let's get into that then. Can you tell us how to tell a hot stranger at a bar? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think, so a lot of people are petrified of disclosing their STI status Mm -hmm. or just bringing up STIs in general. Like, have you been tested? I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people worry that, They'll be rejected. They don't know how much to share. They don't know if they need to justify that they have an STI. Like, it's a really fraught conversation. Mm -hmm. And over time, what I found is the best way to have that conversation is to be, like, to be confident, be unapologetic. You do not know, you don't owe anyone your backstory. You don't have to, like, make yourself a respectable person with an STI. You can just say, hey, I have this virus, just so you know. Um, here's what we can do to decrease transmission risk. Like I have condoms, I'm on Valtrex, whatever. Is that okay with you? Do you even know your herpes status? Like, do you, do you ever get cold sores? Mm-hmm. Like you can have it be very matter of fact and lead with the fact that you're into this person and like, Hey, I really like you. We've been dating. I want you to know this because I'm interested in having sex with you. Like you can focus on the fact that ultimately the conversation you're having is an exciting one. It's like, Mm -hmm. I would like to do something with your body (laughs) and here's what you need to know in order for us to go do that thing. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, I'm so sorry. I have this awful thing to tell you. Please don't think worse of me. I have herpes, which Mm -hmm. I think is the default for a lot of folks because that's how you feel. Mm-hmm. So yeah, don't talk shit about yourself <laughs> when yeah. you're sharing something like this because you really, you don't need to. 
Is there any difference if it's a person like maybe you haven't actually been dating them for very long or you're not going to date them at all and you're just going to have sex with them like that one night? Is there anything that you would shift or is it the same, just like very to the point, like confident conversation? Yeah, I think it's I think it's the same in the sense that you really can give as much or as little information as you want, as long as you have the facts mm-hmm. down. Like some people are very private and even with long-term partners just don't want to get into like the traumatic backstory of getting diagnosed. So yeah. I think in general, it's important to think about what am I, what am I willing to share with anyone about this part of my life? Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to like having casual sex or taking someone home at a bar, this is also someone that you don't know very well and you may not know their own situation. Mm-hmm. So you have an opportunity to make it a two-way conversation of, okay, this is going to happen. We both want this. When were you last tested? here was when I was last tested. I test mm-hmm. positive for X. What do you test positive for? Because you mm-hmm. both need to share that information. Absolutely. And because it is a stranger, you're both starting at square one. And you might find that that person then says, oh, uh, well, I'd never get tested, gotten tested. I don't know. And you might realize, hey, I don't really want to have sex with you if you have no mm-hmm. clue what your sexual health status is. Mm-hmm. So it's an important conversation on both sides. And no one person has the opportunity to be like, well, you're less than me because of xyz like you both get to kind of put your cards on the table and that can be kind of fun too like you don't have to make it this fraught accusation conversation it's like hey how are we gonna have sex safely what are you into as well what 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 else should i know about you is there anything you really like to do or that you don't like to do like how do you like to be touched like do you have an apartment? <laughs> do you have sheets? Like, How about a headboard? Like, <laughs> what, are we, what are we working with here? <laughs> exactly. Like the biggest challenge in my sex life right now is not that I have herpes. It's that I live with my parents. Yeah. <laughs> to be like, I'm 29. Um, should we look up a hotel tonight? Like, should I come to you? <laughs> it's exactly. All those conversations are silly. Yeah. Yes. Is there ever a time not to disclose is there ever a time when you don't need to disclose when you shouldn't disclose I didn't know how to ask that question without like the same way but I think that's a good way to put it yeah it's a really and this is a debate that I think a lot of folks have I think my personal opinion is that I think you have an ethical obligation to disclose anytime you're putting someone in a situation where you could potentially transmit and where they should be ultimately making an informed decision. I think it's a piece of consent. Um, However, I I think that there are really interesting, there are like interesting kind of awful contexts where you have to think about it differently. Like if you've been sexually assaulted and you have an STI and you're wondering, should I, do I have an ethical obligation to tell this person who harmed me and violated my boundaries? Like, I don't fucking think so. Mm. (laughs) Like, excuse my language, but it gets really complicated. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a, there's a really interesting relationship between abuse and STIs, because if you have an STI, you might be more likely to wind up in an abusive, unhealthy relationship because of the damage that it's done to your self-esteem. You might worry like how many people are going to love me and accept me. Like you might accept worse treatment because of how, upset you are and I speak from personal experience it's not me being judgy like it's when you're in that kind of a brain space it can be really tricky to realize like this person's garbage Mm -hmm. and then also if somebody is abusive or perpetrator of of different types of harm they're probably less likely to care about protecting their sexual partners from STIs Mm -hmm. so there is a relationship in some ways between 
abuse of shitty people and STIs, not because you're a bad person if you have an STI, but because if you're a bad person, you're not going to care about having responsible sex and, and about the consent of your partners. Mm -hmm. So I think that, I think that you always have an ethical obligation to disclose, but if you have been harmed, if, if there's more to it than that, an STI disclosure can be a little less straightforward and may not be the safest thing for either of you. So Mm -hmm. it's like a, it's a cognitive thinking cap you have to put on. It's like, it's tricky. Yeah. One more, thank you for sharing that. One more Mm -hmm. um, question I have about disclosure is kind of when, so if you're meeting somebody like on a dating app or you're texting them first Mm -hmm. and all of this, like, is that something you disclose then? Like before you meet up for the date, is it something you disclose on the date? If you're, you know, going to have sex, is it right before you have sex? When is kind of what you found the best time to disclose? Yeah, I think it really depends on your own personality and your own style. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always find it funny when people ask me this question because when you Google my name, Google's like, did you mean herpes? Yeah. Oh my God. I really really have to disclose because I'm like, shit, you already know. Uh (laughs) Well, when you're the poster child, the beautiful poster child Mm. for advocacy, it's like, it's like, Um, it's fun fun consequence. But, uh, but yeah, I think in general though, it really depends on what you're comfortable with. I Mm -hmm. think that you certainly don't have to put it on your dating profile. Like you do not have an ethical obligation to tell someone as soon as you've met them or as mm-hmm. soon as you have a yeah. crush on them, by the way, you should know this. Like you yeah. don't, you mm-hmm. don't have to. It's not your you personality it trait. Yourself. It's mm-hmm. just a part exactly. of you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I think as long as you're consenting before it becomes, or not, as long as you're disclosing before it's like immediately in play, I think mm-hmm. you're fine. Like mm-hmm. if you're a first date person, good for you. If you're a third date person, good for you. As long as you disclose before you're actually having sex, you're good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also do not recommend waiting until immediately before you have sex, just because mm-hmm. people's brains are cloudy. Some folks might want to process that information. They might want to do a little research. They might want to talk to their doctor. Like it really depends on the person, the context, and like you really don't want to spring it on someone until the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also it can be really hard to disclose in the moment. Like you might think like you might get trapped in your own head and then find yourself not disclosing because it's just like at what point do you say like hey wait we need to talk about something so right I recommend disclosing when you feel comfortable enough with that person and when they have enough time to really understand what you're saying Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of disclosing over text message like I love to just be like hey I really like you we've gone on a few dates like I'm interested in continuing to see you I just want to let you know that this is my SDI situation. What's yours? Because that way I don't have to see the look on their face. Like mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about them responding in their best possible way. Like there's a little bit of distance there, which makes yeah, it a little easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that's just me. Like I've also disclosed in person. I've disclosed on dates. Like it really, it tells you a lot about a person's character and also Absolutely. about how good their sex education is. Yeah. <laughs> like, how- some people might at first be like, ah, and then realize, oh, this is really no big deal. My dad has it. Like my mm-hmm. best friend has it. Like it's fine. Mm-hmm. So everybody's different. Right. How do you feel like if you get a not so good response in person, um, how do you as a person not take it too personal, you know, like bounce back even in that situation, text. even over text. But yeah. spe- I'm thinking like if someone like no. visibly to my face is like, fuck you, I'm leaving type of mm-hmm. a thing where it's like a really bad response. How do you kind it's of It's incredibly cope? hurtful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I won't discount it when someone acts like that. It, it, it touches a lot of nerves and it's just shitty. Like yeah. 
I also think about it too of like, what if I told somebody on a date something else really intimate about me right. and they acted like an asshole? Like, mm-hmm. if I opened up about being a survivor of abuse and they reacted that way, like, I would not think to myself, oh, I'm a terrible person. Right. They have decided I'm not worth it. I'd be like, this person's a dick. Yeah. So I try to remember that if someone responds that way to my herpes status, like, what is wrong with you? Like you mm-hmm. suck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like what an unempathetic response. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try really hard to put it in context, but it can be, it's, it's, it's not fun when that happens. I've had people be obnoxious to me about it. And I try to remember this is, this says more about their character than it does about mine. And they're doing me a favor by removing themselves from my life. Even if it feels like I've been rejected, like Bye. Yeah. Thank you. You saved me mm-hmm. some time. Mm-hmm. Cause I imagine there's a lot of other things that they would react not so well to throughout yeah. that relationship, yes. yeah. like vulnerable, sensitive things mm-hmm. about like your hardships, maybe down the line mm-hmm. or previously. So yeah, it's like, yeah, all right, never mind. Fuck mm-hmm. you. Actually, yeah. <laughs> actually, actually yeah. fuck you. You're the loser <laughs> yeah. and you can get out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So in the longevity, unless you had any more present moment questions um, of just like living with herpes. So is there anything like down the road you have to think of when it comes to like kids or genetics, anything like that when you want to think about having a family? Is that is herpes? Does herpes play any part in that? Yeah, I think if you're if you're a person who has a vagina and, and may have children and bear children, like it's worth a conversation with your doctor about how should I manage outbreaks during pregnancy and then during childbirth? Mm-hmm. Um, there are some like scary t- statistics and headlines about giving herpes to your infant that are mostly overblown, like um, tabloid bullshit that's not really medically mm-hmm. worth. Yeah. In, like, don't let it shape your opinion about this. You can absolutely have children. You can give birth vaginally. Like, it's people have been giving birth with herpes for centuries. Like it's <laughs> yeah, really the dawn of time. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And herpes has been around for centuries. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's herpes gets its name from, I think it's either ancient Greek or ancient Latin to creep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, it's been here. It's been with us. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the hysteria around it is relatively young, but yeah, I think in the long term, like, talk to your doctor, learn your symptoms. It's not going to, there's nothing you can't do. It's Mm -hmm. just something that you learn to manage really. Mm -hmm. I have kind of a two part question. The first part. So, you know, if you're in a relationship with somebody who is herpes positive, is it guaranteed that you will get it? Or is it like, just like anything else? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've, I've now had, um, two or three long-term relationships with people where we weren't even necessarily using barrier methods. We had like a conversation. I have an IUD, like I've had several relationships now where I haven't transmitted and it's been theoretically possible, but Mm -hmm. my partners haven't tested positive. I know a lot of folks who've been married for decades where one person's positive, the other's negative. Like it's not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it really depends on being able to talk to your partner about it somebody who discloses their STI status to you is actually less likely to give you an STI because they know their status and they're Mm -hmm. being above board and you can kind of collaborate on how to manage that, which is like a fun twist. (laughs) If somebody discloses, they're actually keeping you safer. Mm -hmm. And they're probably Um, better at sex. Yeah. I feel like, (laughs) I feel like it's just Just a personality trait of someone who's better at it. Yeah. They're probably just better all around. (laughs) 
Honestly, I completely agree because you're more likely to talk about sex and mm-hmm. say what works, what you want, what's uncomfortable because you've created that space to then say like, exactly. here's this vulnerable thing about me. What about you? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not guaranteed that you'll transmit. And if you do transmit, like shit happens. It's mm-hmm. not one person failing. Exactly. You don't have to feel guilty about it. Like that's something that I try to remember is if I at some point do transmit to a partner if I've disclosed to them, they've consented and they've said this risk is not important to me and they then get herpes from me, I haven't ruined their life. Mm -hmm. Like they are a willing partner. They chose that risk. And I remember I talked to one of my first boyfriends after getting diagnosed and I said, I'm just worried you're going to hate me. And he was like, why on earth would I hate you? Because I get to have sex with an amazing person and I got a virus that I knew was a risk of Mm -hmm. having sex with you. Like, stop. And I try to always remember that Mm because that's we put a lot of guilt on ourselves and responsibility on ourselves when we're STI positive. And yeah. it's, it's not even, it's something we do to torture ourselves in some ways. Exactly. That was the cutest response from yeah. your then boyfriend. <laughs> so that's very sweet. He was a sweetie. He was a sweetie. <laughs> we broke up for a lot of different reasons, but herpes was thankfully nothing to do with it. It's just a skin condition. So even if you did transmit it to somebody, it's like, Mm-hmm. They consented. Okay. Yeah. Now we get to share Epsom salts. Great. Now we get to have Epsom salt baths. Sorry. <laughs> like, sorry. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm wondering if there are any other myths um, that you wanted to talk about that you mm-hmm. feel like come up often. I did want to clarify one thing. So if somebody has like an active cold sore and you share a drink with them, it's not like a, yep, you're definitely getting a cold sore now because that's what I have always been told. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't recommend doing it, but I don't know that it's like, I'm really not sure how likely transmission is. Like we were talking earlier about toilet seats and like how long things live outside of your body. Like it really depends on how long herpes, the herpes virus can survive Mm -hmm. on a surface. So like it's, you're not, you're not screwed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wouldn't recommend doing it, but you're not screwed. Okay. Gotcha. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so we want to go into other myths. Yeah. That you any other myths. Of. I mean, I think that's a good segue to like, I, um, my college roommate who I adored, her mom was really worried when she found out that I had herpes. She was like, you guys shouldn't share towels or anything. And like, that was absolutely nonsense. Bless right. her. She didn't know, like, I'm not mad exactly. at her, but like that kind of stuff there. I think there's a lot of fear of contagion. That's just mm-hmm. like, I'm not having sex with your daughter, so she's not at risk of anything. Don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, Actually, Lisa, um, we're fine. We're fine. Thank you. She's not my type. She's lovely. We're good. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of what other myths there are. Like, I think there's just so many myths about the type of person who gets herpes that right. are just nonsense. Like, mm-hmm. I, you can get herpes the first time you have sex. You can have herpes from a family member. You can, mm-hmm. there's so many different ways you can contract different viruses. And it has nothing to do with being irresponsible or being promiscuous in scare quotes. Like, mm-hmm. I, I had a ton of casual sex in college, but the person I got herpes from I think at least because it's hard to prove, but like right. person I got herpes from was someone I was like head over heels stupidly in love with. It's just like, you just, it's luck of the draw. It's really mm-hmm. a lottery. So yeah. it has nothing to do with how promiscuous or evil or, or irresponsible you are. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it is really, really not a punishment. Like viruses do not care how good a person you are or what you've done. They're just looking for a host. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, it's a lot like COVID. It's yeah, I was like, just going to say, yeah, 
Yeah. Like there, we like to talk about people being irresponsible and, and not taking preventative measures with COVID, but like, sometimes you just got in an elevator at the wrong time and right, somebody exactly. had just coughed. Like it's, mm-hmm. you can't put so much moral weight in a virus. So mm-hmm. that's the big thing. I just wish people would understand is mm-hmm. it's, it does not reflect who you are. It is a yes. virus. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a great wrap up too, to yeah. talking about this as well. Just oh my God. A good and well-rounded. Yeah. <laughs> is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to throw in at the end or get into? Yeah, I just, I think that if, if you have an STI, it does not mean that you deserve less than anybody else. You deserve to have a happy life. You deserve to be treated with respect. You deserve sexual pleasure. You deserve all of the same things you did before you tested positive. And if anybody tells you you deserve less because of your STI, person does not belong in your life. Um, whether that's a partner or a judgmental family member or whatever else, like they have some learning to do and that is not on you. Now that's a wrap up. Yeah, now that's a wrap up. Um, where I'm going to steal your question. Go where ahead. can our listeners keep connecting with you after the episode? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Bros and Pros because I write prose about bros because you got to get herpes somewhere. And, uh... <laughs> that's the best tagline I have it. ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking love it. Fucking love it. <laughs> And then I'm, I'm also EllaDawson.com is where you can read a lot of my writing about herpes and my TEDx talk about it and stuff like that. Wasn't that beautiful? Wasn't that beautiful? You can kiss after this. Not, not oh. you people. Wait. <laughs> she was talking to me. <laughs> not you she and I She was saying can I can kiss her after we end this. Counting okay. down. You said so. Minus 60 Can't seconds. take it back. <laughs> it's not how consent works. Once you say it, you're done. <laughs> That's how it works here in the honeypod. Um, why wasn't honeypod ever suggested? I, I think know. that's kind of fun. Sounds a little spacey. Yeah, but I mean, we went full force with Honey Hole, which is scary. I don't know. Dungeness. It kind of sounds like that hole in um, The Lovely Bones. Ah, remind me. Um, So The Lovely Bones is a story about a, um, I would say, young teen girl. Um, She has a creepy neighbor move in. Doesn't seem creepy. I didn't mean the whole She walks home in a field. But I see and he says, look, I've made this cool thing in the ground, this like little bunker. And uh, she's like, oh, I feel weird. And he's like, don't feel weird. And she goes in and it's it's kind of a cool bunker. But then he chops her up into pieces. Yeah, that's right. And that's- then she watches him try and attack her family the rest of the time. Trigger warning. Trigger. Yeah. <laughs> I read we- that in middle school. <laughs> Which was scary that it was on the reading list for middle I know. school. I read that's the not your darkest fault. things in middle school, yeah. and that's why I'm not great now and on Lexapro. That also, that might be your fault. Depression <laughs> is your fault if that's anything uh, you can take away. <laughs> if you've learned anything from Honey Do Me, it's that it's all your fault. It's all your fault. But I read like 13 Reasons Why. Yeah. And like, why rank? Do you remember those yeah. fucking books? I do. Where it's just like weird poems mm-hmm. about crank yeah crank <laughs> speaking of scary things this has nothing to do with our episode herpes is not scary but no this, this show is uh i started watching fresh 
the new Sebastian Stan movie. Is it scary? My mom. Yes. Okay, stop. My mom already talked to me about it, and she said it's scary. And it's scary and I disgusting. I don't want to talk about it, because okay. I don't do scary things. I know. I'm going to finish it. I read enough scary books in middle school for Tonight. a lifetime. <laughs> well, let's go back to something happy, which is Ella Dawson. And yes. I'm going to thank her for being here today oh, and being so, so open much. and like just being this pioneer for a tricky topic mm-hmm. that, you know, a lot of people are looking for a voice for. Yeah, that shouldn't be so tricky. Exactly. So thank you, Ella. You're wonderful and amazing, and you are a true troublemaker in the world of um, stigmatization. <laughs> Bros and pros. I love it. Um, and thank you to our listeners for sticking around. Mm-hmm. And if this episode hit in a strangs with you, I don't <laughs> think that's a saying, uh, go ahead and share it with somebody else because, again, this is such important information and everybody deserves to have it. And how we spread this episode is through word of mouth. <laughs> <Yep>. And <laughs> which is also how you spread type one. Yeah. So I mean, uh, could I have used different words? I could have. I could have. But, uh, but I didn't. You can go ahead to Apple Podcasts to rate, review, and subscribe to Honey Do Me. It means so much to us. We read all of your reviews, even the mean ones. And yes, I do carry those with me throughout the week and tell them to my therapist. But the nice ones. That's okay. Get me through the night. Yeah. Get me through the hour. So if you haven't digested, Cass is on Lexapro. (laughs) And I am a therapist. On that note, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.